If you brought your Bible with you tonight, we hold up the Word of God all over the building. And I want you to join me, if you will, in the Old Testament book of Proverbs tonight, chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, page 694, if you have an old Schofield Bible. And I just want to read a couple of verses here in just a minute. And maybe just again, like a, like a, a, a launching pad into the subject for tonight. Proverbs chapter number 30, uh, page number 694. While you're finding your place there, I do want to just just remind you of our service here on Wednesday night of this week, and I hope you'll be here for that. Seven o'clock Wednesday night, first Wednesday night of the new year. And I read somewhere the other day that whatever you do at the opening of the year is very important, especially if you do it over and over again, because it'll kind of lead you into a habit for the whole year. And uh, so, man, I've tried to. I got up uh, Friday morning and I ran uh, 5,000 miles Friday morning. I started eating right Friday. Of course, I fell off the wagon Saturday and Sunday, but. Uh, I plan on getting back on it again on Monday, and, and so I'm trying to establish some tendencies in my life that will maybe help me to make some life-changing choices going forward. I want to be in church Wednesday night, and if you haven't normally been coming, you say, oh, preacher, I, man, I'm just so tired. Come over here and sleep with the rest of us. Amen. I can put them to sleep with the best of them. You can't rest any better than you can rest right here in the house of God. You can't sleep any better than you can right here. I promise. Look around you at all these folks in here that's sleeping right now. I'll tell you, it's a good place to come to sleep. So uh, I'm, I'm kidding. But uh, anyway, I hope you'll be here for service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. All right? Don't forget that. Let's see. Let's go over the bus report today. Listen to this. On a rainy, soggy Sunday morning, we had a total of 235 bus riders on our buses today. What a good job by all of our captains, workers, our drivers. Appreciate so much the hard work that went into all that. A lot of door knocking, a lot of calls, a lot of walking yesterday. Our bus captains and workers put into that. 235 riders on our buses today. If you appreciate that, would you say amen? I do appreciate that. And then Brother Tim White. Brother Tim preached over at the truck stop today. Didn't have anybody over there as far as to preach to, but he went out in the parking lot, led one of those truck drivers to Jesus today. So that's a good day at the truck stop. Amen. Anytime somebody gets saved, what a good day that is. And I appreciate the Lord's blessings. I thought we had a good crowd this morning and a good crowd back tonight. I'm so glad that you are here. Now, join me, if you will, in the book of Proverbs, chapter number 30. And I want to read two verses, verse number 5 and verse number 6. And I want you to notice now what the Word of God says. And uh, if you don't have these verses marked, you may want to mark them because they're very important to us. Look at verse 5. Every word, every word, singular. It doesn't say every words or all the words. It just says every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Boy, I'm interested in that phrase, every word of God is pure. I want to just maybe use that tonight. Bear with me for just a moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good singing. I'm glad we got a place called heaven to go to and live forever in your presence. And it's a song she sang, said about no tears and no sighs over there. What a great place that's going to be. But until then, I'm so glad that right now, even in this old wicked world that we live in, that salvation can make a change in a person's life and give them a little bit of heaven 
to go to heaven in. And Jesus, it's all because of you. It's all because of your work on the cross. It's all because of your shed blood that we can be saved and know you in a personal way. And now I want to pray that you'd bless the Word of God. Every word of God is pure, so use it to speak to us tonight and help us, I pray, as we look at just three or four good Bible words in our text tonight that God's people ought to be familiar with as we live out these last days. Bless your word, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, for about a month now in our Sunday evening services, we've been engaged in a series of sermons that I've entitled, Bible Words Every child of God should know. Now, again, in case you're visiting with us tonight wondering, you know, what kind of church is this? I just want to tell you, you're sitting in a church tonight that believes the Bible to be the Word of God. And we don't raise question marks about that. We're not trying to raise doubts or speculation about the Word of God. We just want to place an exclamation point right there and say, the Bible contains and is the Word of God. It just doesn't contain the Word of God. You know, a lot of people, several years ago, when the Bibles came out with those red letters and those red words, you know, somebody said, well, that's the Word of God. That's what Jesus spoke, so that's the Word of God. But I, I beg to differ with you. I think every word in the Bible is the Word of God. It is inspired from God. We believe the Bible from cover to cover is the Word of God. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 and every word in between is the Word of God. We believe the Bible being the inspired Word of God. We believe the Bible is the living Word of God and it's without error and it's completely reliable each and every time. Now I want to tell you something. There are people in the Bible who point to some discrepancy and they'll say, all right, here now, here's a mistake. This one said that, and this, the, the other one said this. And I'll tell you what, it may take somebody a lot smarter than me to figure it all out, but I promise you when it all comes out in the wash, you'll never find an error in the Word of God. It is completely, completely reliable. The Bible then, being the Word of God, is our sole authority for our lives and then for our church as well. The Bible is and always has been the voice of God. If you want to know the heart, if you want to know the mind, if you want to know the will of God about any matter, all you got to do is get into your Bible. Therefore, it's vitally important for us to understand what the Bible has to say. We ought to know our Bibles from cover to cover. We ought to be familiar with the Word of God. I'm telling you, as God's people, as we live out these last days, we ought to know what the Bible has to say. I mean, man, there's so many false doctrines and false truths, uh, not false truths, but false falsities that are uh, falling, uh, sweeping around in our culture today. God's people, more than ever before, need to know what the Word of God has to say. And we don't want to just know it for the sake of argument, so we can cause a, a put up a good argument with somebody. Uh, I, we want to know the Bible because we want to help other people, not just argue with other people. Hey, I don't want to know what the Bible said so I can win an argument. I want to know what the Bible has to say so I can help others with the Word of God. Now, let me tell you something. God is particular about His Word. Can I show you in the Bible? Now, right here in the book of Proverbs, God gave us a warning. And he said this in verse number 6, Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. God put a warning right here in the middle of our Bible. 
But let me say this, this is not the only warning that God's given us in the Bible. You see, when we first open up our Bible, we read no farther than the first few books of our Bible, and God gives us a warning about His Word. Back in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 2, God said this, Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. God said right up front, don't mess with my word. Don't add to it. And whatever you do, don't take away from it. And then when God closed the Bible, over in the book of Revelation chapter 22, God gave us another warning about it. Revelation chapter 22 verse 18, the Bible said, If any man right in the middle of the verse shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. But the next verse says, If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. You know what God's saying? Don't mess with my word. Leave the word alone. But I'll tell you, that's good advice in these days in which you and I are living in. But know the word of God, but don't don't tamper with the Word of God. I'm so glad that I'm a member of a church that don't try to tamper with the Word of God. We don't get up and say what God really meant. How, what do I know what God meant? I mean, brother, what God meant is what He said. And what He said is what He meant. And we just need to stay with the book. You know, the Bible said in the last days, the last days that wickedness is going to abound on every side. We believe that. The Bible said in Matthew 24, verse number 12, that iniquity shall abound, and the love of many shall wax cold. Wickedness is abounding on every side. But sad but true, not only is wickedness abounding, but so is ignorance. Ignorance is abounding on every side, especially when it comes to the Word of God. In fact, that's really what got me started thinking along these lines of going over these words that are in the Bible is because in the last day, seemingly, there is an, an attempt on uh, in the churches to to cause us or tell us what we need to do is get away from certain Bible words. I mean, that's going on in church now. In other words, they say, hey, we're trying to be seeker-friendly. By the way, I want everybody to feel welcome here at Woodland. I really do. I want everybody to come to church over here, and boy, I want them to hear music that speaks to the heart. By the way, that wasn't contemporary music tonight, was it? Columns, banners, lights but old-fashioned music. Amen. And when I get done, you're going to say, this is an old-fashioned message too. Columns, banners, lights, but old-fashioned preaching. You're welcome. Yeah. Why can't we have that in a nice-looking building? Yes, sir. Now what was we preaching about? Oh, yeah, tithing. Getting back to the subject of tithing now. But anyway, the Word of God. But in this seeker-friendly age, they're telling us now, if you're going to reach people, you've got to do away using some of them Bible words because people aren't familiar with those words anymore. So what you need to do is you need to try your best to explain it on a level in, in, the, in the language of the day so people can get a hold of what you're trying to say. You know, the only problem that I've got with that is this. God didn't promise to honor our language. God didn't promise to honor our word. God promised to honor His word. That's right. In fact, can I tell you something. God promised to honor His Word above His own name. Back in the book of Psalms, we read the verse like this. Psalms 138, verse number 2. The Bible said, For thou hast magnified thy word. The, the psalmist said, God, you have placed your word above your own name. Now let me tell you something. We know God is very particular about His name. We know that God is very careful 
about his name. God, buddy, I'll tell you, God gets mad when people abuse his name. That's the reason we read back in one of those original top ten commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. God said, you be careful what you do, how you use my name. You be careful with that. God will in no wise hold a man guiltless who takes the Lord's name in vain. God is careful with his name, but above his own name, God magnifies and honors his word. You know, for the life of me, I can't understand why we're supposed to be embarrassed and shy away from using good Bible words from the living, powerful word of God. Listen, my word can't get the job done, but the word of God will still get the job done. So we're thinking in these services along the lines of some great Bible words that every child of God needs to know. Now, of course, we're using our English alphabet for the sake of just having an outline, but we're all the way up now tonight to the letter D. We came through the letter A, and boy, I'll tell you, there were some great Bible words that began with the letter A. What about the word altar? That's a good word. By the way, thank y'all for coming to the altar this morning. Aren't you glad we got it? Aren't you glad we got steps we can push up now and get up off the altar? But thank you for using the altar. Always use the altar, the word atonement. What about this, the word amen? That's a good Bible word. Why don't we say it just a minute? One, two, three. Amen. amen. That's a, the proper biblical response to preaching is amen. Let it be so. Yes, sir. That's a good Bible word, the letter A. And then we move to the letter B. And we discovered the word blood and the word born again and the word baptism among many others. Great Bible words we ought to know. Last week we were up to the letter C and we talked about the word cross and the word church and the word Christian among other words. All good Bible words that God's people need to know, but now we're up to the letter D. So what are some of the good Bible words? Now, these are not my words, but I thought about this, the word deacon. That's a good Bible word. You say, preacher, what is a deacon? A deacon is an office held by a man. That took a little long for y'all to say that. Deacon in a church is an office that is held by a man and he is there to minister and assist the pastor in carrying out the work uh, of the Lord Jesus through the church. Thank God for good deacons. Boy, we've had some good ones here at Woodland for many, many years. The word deacon. And then what about this? The word, this is not my word, but what about the word dedicate? Boy, that's a good Bible word. Boy, we don't have much of that much anymore, do we? Dedication. Dedicated. Being dedicated to the cause of Christ. Or what about the word devoted? That's a good D word or the word devout. But those are not my words. So what are the words for tonight? Number one, let's talk about this word right here, the word disciple. Now, I'll tell you something, that is a good Bible word. Can I tell you, the followers of Jesus throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, were called by a variety of names. If you followed Jesus, you had all kind of names. They were called Christians. We talked about that one last week. They were called believers. They were called followers. They were called ambassadors. They were called witnesses. They were called children. They were called sons. They were called sheep. But by far and away, the most popular, the most frequent word, that God's people were called in the New Testament was the word disciple. 
In fact, if you were to get your strongs out and just count all the uses of the word disciple, you'll find out that word is used 275 times in the Bible. Now, when we think about a disciple, we think about 12 disciples. Oh, we say, oh yeah, Matthew and Mark and, or, or Matthew and James and John and, and uh, Bartholomew and Jude and Thomas. Yeah, those were the 12 disciples. Well, I know that's what we call those men, but can I tell you something? There's a whole lot more than 12 of them. In fact, can I tell you something? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a disciple of Jesus. You see, that word disciple encompasses more than just a learner or a follower. That's what it means, a learner or a follower. Later on in the book of Acts, one of the more frequent used titles for the people of God was the title of disciple. People were learning from Jesus. People were following Jesus. But it means more than that. It means more than just being a student of Jesus. It actually means to be a student who is actually taking on himself the ways of the one that he's following. In other words, as we follow the Lord Jesus, we not only learn his word, we not only learn about him, first thing you know, we start living like him. We start acting like him. Didn't somebody just sing about that up here just a moment ago? Man, we want to be like Jesus. In his likeness, I believe was the song that Miss Lisa sang a moment ago. It's more than just learning about him. I mean, what we learn about him ought to affect the way that we live. It ought, we ought to take on our lives, the characteristics of the life of the Lord Jesus. Here in our text or in the Bible, when we, we find that people are called disciples, they've not only placed their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus, but as they begin to follow him and learn about him, they actually begin to live the way that he lived. That's a disciple. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people who uh, know about Jesus. There's a lot of people who have learned about Jesus. But boy, how many of us are taking on the characteristics of Jesus. How many of us in our life are becoming more and more like Jesus? You know what people, most people's idea is of Jesus? They want Jesus to be a fire escape out of hell for them. Am I right? All they want to do is walk down an aisle, trust Jesus, get saved, and then that's it. Jesus, leave me alone. They want to use him so they don't have to die and go to hell. But there's so much more to it than just that. Jesus wants us to then, after we get saved, to learn about him, to learn his ways, learn his word, to watch his life. But then Jesus wants us to, to start living like him as well, to follow him and to mimic his way of living. So number one, that's a good Bible word, a disciple. By the way, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple of Christ? Has his life become your way of living? I know, I get it, we all fail. I'm, I understand that. I'm probably the biggest failure in here. I get all that. We all let God down. We all have our failures. We all have our struggles. We lose battles from time to time. But I'll tell you, down deep on the inside of me, there's a desire. I want to do my best to live like Jesus lived. And I always fall short. But one of these days when I see him, I'm going to be like him. Amen. That's going to be a good day. No more sin. The word disciple. Oh, I wish I didn't have to mention this next one. But here's another good Bible word every child of God needs to know. Devil. Now, I'm not talking about your mother-in-law neither. There is a real live devil. Did you know that word, devil, or some form of it appears 118 times in the Bible? 
I think we know that everything that is going on in our world tonight that is anti-God, anti-Jesus, anti-Holy Spirit, anti-Bible is backed by the devil. I think we know that. The Bible says of the devil that he is a murderer. Did you get that? He is a murderer. I read today that there are 47 murders daily that take place in the United States of America. Now, you do the math. That's two, almost two an hour. That boils down to about one every 30 minutes somewhere in the United States of America. Somebody is murdered. But I promise you this, whether it be a gun, whether it be a knife, whether it be a rock or a stick or a bomb or a rope or whatever it is, if you could somehow dust for spiritual fingerprints on that murder weapon, you'd find the fingerprints of the devil. You know why? He is a murderer. That's what the Bible said about him. The devil is a murderer. Then the Bible said the devil's a liar. He is a liar. Jesus said in John 8, 44, he's not just a liar. He's the father of all lies. Can I tell you something? Every lie that has ever been told, every lie that has ever been told has been backed by the devil. Every time a boy lies to his mama, every time a man lies to his wife, every time an employee lies to their employer, somewhere standing off in the shadows, there's the devil there because he is a liar. When he tells you you've gone too far, that God can't even help you, he's a liar. Hey, when he tells you, when he tells you God don't even love you, he's a liar. When he tells you that nobody cares about you, he is a liar. In fact, I like this. You're never more like Jesus than when you're telling the truth because the Bible said Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But you and I are never more like the devil than when we're telling a lie because the Bible said he is a liar and the father of all lies. He's a murderer. You want to hang around. Why in the world does anybody want to be in the family of a murderer? If I were to come up to you tonight, I, he can't do this, but if I were to come up to you tonight and say, Charles Manson wants to adopt you, would you say, man, I am just so, I'm so just uh, awed by the fact that Charles Manson wants me in his family. Are you kidding me? You want to be in a family of a murderer? What about a liar? You want to be in a family of somebody that is known for the lies that they tell? I mean, he is a murderer. He is a liar. Get this, he's an accuser. He accuses you and me in the presence of God. The Bible said he, he, he's, a, he's an accuser of the brethren in Revelation chapter 12. So in other words, what the Bible seems to indicate is the devil stands on the second level of heaven and shouts into the third heaven, into the throne of God's grace, and he slanders, he accuses God's people to, to God himself. He's an accuser. I don't know about you, but I don't like people that all they want to do is talk about somebody all the time and just tell some old smud and some old lie and some old, some old bad stuff. And that's all they, every time you get around them, all they want to do is talk bad about somebody and talk about what all's going wrong in their life and how terrible they are. But I'll tell you, that's what the, you want to be in a family of somebody like that. Well, I'm glad I got out of his family. I'm glad I got born again and got into the family of God. You say, preacher, then why in the world did God create the devil anyway? You don't understand. He didn't create the devil. 
No, sir. God didn't create the devil. God didn't create Satan. God created a beautiful, a beautiful angel by the name of Lucifer. And if you chase it down in your Bible, I think what you'll find is this. You'll find out that Lucifer was one of God's three mighty archangels. It seems apparent. It seems apparent to me according to what the Bible said. The Bible says of the devil that he was the anointed. That seems to indicate to me that he was the leader of a group, an order of angels called the cherubims, a very high-ranking order. God has angels in, in ranking orders, powers, principalities, so forth on down the line. And it seems like evident to me that over this very powerful group of angels that we refer to as cherubims was an angel that God created by the name of Lucifer. He was beautiful. He was brilliant. He was beautiful. He had all these various colors according to Ezekiel 28, the sardis, the topaz, the carbuncle, the emerald, the diamond, the pearl, the onyx. He was all of that, man. When you saw him, he was so beautiful. His name Lucifer means the bright one. Not only was he beautiful, but he was brilliant. He was bright. And it almost seems evident to me that this angel that God created to be over the order of the angels called the cherubims was God's choir leader in heaven. You see, back, and I don't know, I don't know when all this happened, but I will tell you this, back before God created the world, it seems evident from Scripture that all the angels of God would get together and they would praise God. Job 38 verse number 7 says, when the morning stars sang together, stars, angels, when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God, that's another phrase for angels, shouted for joy. It almost seems apparent that all the angels of God would get together and form one big heavenly choir and they would just worship and praise God. That's why they were created. They were created to be ministers and, and uh, worshipers and praisers of God. And right down there in the front of that whole crowd was an angel by the name of Lucifer. And God had created within him special musical ability. You understand there are three types of musical instruments. There's stringed instruments, there's wind instruments, and there are percussion instruments, things you beat on. All right? Stringed instruments, pianos, wind instruments, flutes you blow into, and then percussion like drums or tabrets. There are three types of musical instruments. You study your Bible, you'll find out when God created Lucifer, he created him with all three of those musical instruments on the inside of him. The Bible said, talks about his pipes. That's wind instruments. The Bible talks about his vials. That's stringed instruments. The Bible talks about his tabrets. That's percussion instruments. And God created this angel with this great, with all this beauty, all this brilliance, and all this musical ability. And most people think he could just open his mouth and music would just pour out. There he would stand, leading those angels of God, just like Brother Mark does us, waving those hands, leading those angels, praising. In God until one day Lucifer got a bad thought in his heart. He got full of pride. And he got to thinking to himself, you know, I'm so beautiful. I'm so brilliant. I'm so talented. I'm so knowledgeable. This worship that we're giving to him ought to be directed toward me. And here's what he said about it in Isaiah. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. 
I will exalt my throne above the star. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation on the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll be like the Most High. In other words, he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get rid of God. I'm going to set myself up to be God. And this worship that's going to him should be directed toward me. So sometime prior to Genesis chapter 3, there was a war that took place in heaven. I, I can't really pinpoint the exact time, but sometime or another, there was a war. Lucifer started a whispering campaign in heaven among the, the angels. You thought that only went on in Baptist churches. And Lucifer said, we need to get rid of the pastor. I mean, he said, we need to get rid of God. And a third of those angels went with him in his rebellion of, of God. The Bible says, speaking of the angels in Hebrews chapter 12, there's an innumerable host of angels. I mean, there's so many of them you can't count. But I do know this, a third of them went with him in his rebellion. That's going to get rid of the preacher. The first church split took place in heaven, friend. They wanted to vote God off the throne. Lucifer wanted to set himself up to be God. And a third of those angels went up against God, and there was a war that took place up in heaven. But how many of us know God may have a whole lot of enemies, but he has no rivals. God may have a whole lot of enemies. There may be a whole lot of God cursers and God haters, but I tell you, there ain't nobody down here that can whoop him. And Lucifer and his angelic host went up against God. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 and verse number 18, Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. God booted him out of the third heaven. He now occupies the second heaven and the first heaven. He has access to the third heaven only by standing in the second heaven and shouting into the throne room of God's grace. But God banned him. Aren't you glad that where God's at and where we're headed, there ain't going to be no devil over there. Buddy, when I walk past the signs of the New Jerusalem city limit sign and I walk into that place, thank God the devil can't follow me there. Dead men. He may hound me and hamper me and hinder me here, but thank God where I'm going, he can't go. God done kicked him out of there. Amen. And the Bible said uh, that God dismissed him from the presence of God. Now, I want to tell you something. One of these days, Satan now has access to the second heaven and the first heaven, but one of these days, God's going to kick him out of all the heavens, and he's going to be confined only to the earth. Now, buddy, you know what we call that time? We call that the great tribulation period. And we read about it in Revelation chapter 12. The Bible said, For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath. You don't want to be here when that happens. When God finally dismisses him from the second heaven and the first heaven, and he's confined to this earth, he's like a roaring lion attack. He's like a lion in a cage. He's furious and ferocious. Man, he's fed up. He's angry. He wants to strike back. By the way, he hates God, but he can't do anything to God. The only way he can get to the heart of God is to wound what the heart of God loves. And what does God love? God loves you. And the only thing the devil knows to do to hurt God is to hurt what God loves. That's why we have stuff like divorce. That's why we have stuff like uh, immorality and pornography and homosexuality. What's God doing? What's the devil doing? The devil's trying to destroy what God loves because he's trying to wound the heart of God. 
Oh, brother, you know, I could use some other words about the devil. What about this? I could use the word deceitful because he is deceitful. Revelation 20, verse number 10 says this, the devil that deceived them. Now, wait a minute. Can you imagine that? At the end of time, at the end of the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ here upon the earth, for a thousand years, everybody on this earth has lived in the presence and under the rule and the dominion of the Lord Jesus himself. For a thousand years, they've lived here with Jesus, and at the end of that thousand-year period, the devil is even going to deceive some of those who live with the devil, for a, live with Jesus for a thousand years. You talk about a deceiver. That's why we all better check up and be sure that what we got in our heart is real. But you need more than just religion to get you to heaven. You need more than just doing better to get you to heaven. You got to have Jesus to go to heaven. But he'll do his best to deceive you into thinking that you're right when you're wrong. And sometimes when you're wrong, you're right. Amen. He's deceitful. What about this? There's the word deceitful. There's the word devices. Look at this verse right here. I'm talking about the devil now. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his, what's that word? There's devices. The devil has tools that he uses against God's people. Discouragement. Temptation. He has all kind of tools in his, in his bag, his devices that he wants to use us. So there's the word deceitful. There's the word devices. Then what about this? There's the word devour. That's what the devil wants to do. He walketh about as a roaring lion doing what? Seeking whom he may. There's another D word devour. So we've got the word disciple. I'm so glad I'm a disciple and I'm not a disciple of the devil. Too many people are learning about him and following his ways. I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus. I'm on the winning side. I'm following the one who can't lose. Who are you following? Amen. Disciple, devil. What about this word right here? Death. Boy, that's a good Bible word. <laughs> we don't like to think about it, but can I tell you something? I counted them this week. Took me forever. I can't half see no more. That word death or some form of it is used 714 times in the Bible. Death. You know what God's saying? God said, you better get ready. Because of the devil's intrusion into the world and the sin of our forefathers, we have something not only called disease, we have something not only called disaster, but we have something called death. You know there was no death before sin entered the world. Did you know that? The Bible said in Romans 5 and verse number 12, Wherefore is by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death is passed upon all men. Why? All have sinned. Why do we die? You say, well, cancer, heart attack. I get all that. But ultimately we die because of our, because of our sin. Death. My heart only has so many beats. My feet only have so many steps. My lungs only have so many breaths. I am going to die. I'm standing right here before you, dying while I'm talking. Got heartburn, <coughs> dying. I'm dying right here as I stand before you tonight. I am dying right here before you. The Bible said in James 1, verse number 15, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, say it with me, bringeth forth. There are two types of death mentioned in the Bible. There's physical death and there's spiritual death. Here's a Bible definition of physical death right here. James 2, verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead. That's the Bible definition of what death. You know what death is? When the spirit departs from the body. Now, I get it. It might be cancer that does that. It might be heart attack. It might be uh, some other something, COVID or whatever. But let me tell you something. When your spirit leaves your body, you're dead, buddy. Physical death is when the spirit leaves the body 
But spiritual death is when the Spirit departs from God forever. That's the reason we read in Revelation chapter number 20, verse 15, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And then the Bible said this, This is the second death. When my spirit departs from my body, that's physical death. But if I die without Jesus, my soul, spirit, will be forever departed from God. That is spiritual death. Can I tell you something? Uh, you know, people down here sometimes, they get a little bit upset, you know, and they don't, want, they don't want anybody preaching to them. They don't want people handing them a tract. They get so mad. But let me tell you something. You die without Jesus, you're going to a place where God will never bother you again. Won't nobody ever walk up to you in hell and hand you a Bible track. Won't no preacher ever stand up before you and say, you need Jesus. Nobody, no preacher ever stand up and say, sing another verse of that invitation song. It'll be over forever. Your soul will depart from God forever and ever and ever. You let me tell you what that word, what that is. That's, that's hell. Where the spirit departs from God forever. I got one more. Can I throw this at you? We'll go. And that's this word right here. That's the word doctrine. Thank God for Bible doctrine. That's a good, that's a good word. The word doctrine appears 56 times in the Bible. The word doctrine means eternal truths as set forth in the Word of God. Sound doctrine is important for spiritual health. That's why when we come over here, I mean, I want to stand up and try to give you sound doctrine to live your life by because it's vitally important. If you're going to be spiritually healthy, you're going to have to have sound doctrine. The false doctrines and teachings that are being, uh, being uh, permeated in our world today are doing great harm and detriment to the people of God. Here's what God's plan is for us not to be. Ephesians 4.14, the Bible said that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of what? God don't want us to be blown about over here with this doctrine and blown about over there with that doctrine. God don't want us to one day believe this and the next day to believe that. That's why God gave us preachers and teachers to give us the good doctrine, the sound doctrine. The Bible said in Ephesians 4, he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why'd you give those to us, God? For the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ, that we be no more tossed with, with false doctrine blown about everywhere. Thank God for the preacher that'll stand up and give us good, sound Bible doctrine. I don't understand how you preach the Bible without preaching doctrine. By the way, can I tell you this? Permit me to do this. You may not be a Baptist flavor, and that's okay. I'm glad you're here. But could I, could I stand up and toot our own horn just a little bit? You can't find any better doctrine than you find in the local, independent, fundamental, premillennial, fried chicken loving, watermelon seed spitting Baptist church. You can't find any better doctrine than we've got right here. What about the doctrine of eternal security? Hey, I ain't hanging on. I ain't holding out. Hey, I'm not trying to, to just hang on to the end. Friend, thank God I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm heading somewhere. When God told Noah to build the ark, he didn't say drive a peg and hang on. And if you can hang on to this thing, rest on Mount Ararat, you're going to make it. He said, get on in. And bless God, he may have fell in it, but he never fell out of it, friend. And you can't neither if you're in. You say, I don't believe that. Wait till we get to heaven. I'm going to come up to you and say, I told you so. You can't get any better than that good. What about salvation by grace? You can't beat that doctrine. The blood atonement. You can't beat that. What about the pre-tribulational rapture? 
I know there's a lot of post stuff going around right now, but let me tell you what I am. I'm a pre-trib. I don't even eat post-toasties. Thank God the Bible teaches us God hadn't saved us and appointed us to wrath, but God saved us to take us out before the wrath of God is poured out on this world. You can't find any better doctrine to that. I ain't worried about going through the first second of the first minute of the first hour of the first day of the first week of the first month of the first year of the tribulation period. Hey, when Jesus comes, atmosphere, stratosphere, hemisphere, out of here, we're leaving, friend. You say, I don't believe that. Where do we go? And I'll tell you on the way up, I tried to tell you. You can't find any better doctrine than that. Thank God for good Bible doctrine. We had a guy several years ago that came to Mount Airy. He was going to hold this citywide crusade. And here's the thing about it. Here's, here's what kind of showed you what it was going to be like. All the churches in Mount Airy were supporting it. The Catholic Church, the Mormon Church, the Baptist Church, the Methodist Church. The Lutheran. I tell you, you try to get all that crowd together. You're crazy for trying to get all that crowd together. But they were all going to have this big crusade, and they all threw their support behind it. And they invited this guy. His name was Clyde Duplin. They invited him to come in and preach, and he advertised he was going to preach the Bible without preaching doctrine. Can somebody please tell me how you preach the Bible without preaching doctrine? I don't know how to do it. Y'all pray for me, and I'll learn how to do that some of these days. But I tell you what, man, the only thing I know to do is preach the great eternal truths of God's Word, the Bible doctrines, the sound doctrines of the Word of God that leads to spiritual well-being in the life of God's people. Great D words. I got some more, but I'll quit with that one. Doctrine. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for the Bible.